Hello, you're listening to Al Monitor's podcast on Israel. I'm Ben Kaspi from Tel Aviv. In the next few weeks, we will know whether Benjamin Netanyahu intends to dismantle his government and drag Israel into another election, the fourth in two years. His government partner, Defense Minister Benny Gantz, who chairs the Blue and White Party, is a minor player in this ongoing political chaos that has left Israel without a budget for two years and in a state of chronic instability for far longer. This is all happening as Israel battles a renewed surge of COVID-19 infections after emerging from a national lockdown and is possibly heading for a third lockdown within weeks, which will further deepen its recession. Netanyahu, meanwhile, is putting together an impressive defense and diplomacy portfolio. His latest project was a secret visit to Saudi Arabia last week, as usually failed to inform his government partners or the heads of the nation's security agencies about this historic, strategically important move. Last Friday, when news broke that the head of Iran's nuclear program, Dr. Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, had been assassinated, foreign intelligence officials and the, the Iranians themselves were quick to blame Israel's Mossad. Netanyahu himself provided a barely veiled admission, saying, quote, We had a week of hard work and many achievements. I cannot tell you about all of them. Our guest today is Orit Farkash Cohen, Israel's Minister of Strategic Affairs, who has, was also recently named Minister of Tourism. She is a member of Gantz Blue and White Party, a lawyer by training who headed the National Electricity Authority. She is an effective manager and an outspoken member of the government. We will ask her where Netanyahu and Gantz are leading Israel, what changes the Middle East faces under Joe Biden as president, and whether she thinks Biden intends to cool the Israeli Sunni momentum that emerged in the waning days of the Trump administration. We will also talk about Iran, about Israel's tourism in the shadow of the pandemic, and other matters as time permits. Strategic Affairs and Tourism Minister Orit Farkash Cohen, a member of Israel's Security Cabinet, will be with us right after this short, brief break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now we say shalom to Minister Orit Farkash Hakohen, and thank you, Minister, for your for joining us 
on Al Monitor's weekly On Israel podcast. Shalom, Orit. Shalom, good evening. Good evening. First, I have to, to ask uh, one question about the, the event, uh, the actual event uh, in, in Iran uh, during the weekend. Israel is obviously keeping quiet about the assassination there uh, near Tehran, but the New York Times is reporting that it was a Mossad operation and Netanyahu seems to have hinted at uh, something along, along those lines. So I will just ask you whether the world is a better and safer place without Dr. Fakhrizadeh. Uh, of course it is. Let's put it this way. Uh, Iran is, a, is an empire of terror and nuclear weapon. It works uh, relentlessly on both, uh, on both levels uh, through its proxies, the Hezbollah and the Hamas, and another, in another area, to uh, push forward nuclear weapons and not for peace purposes. So every action and everything that uh, is resulted by damaging the world that Iran can spread uh, directly on, or indirectly in each of in these areas is blessed. And I think it's a better world, both for Israel, but uh, also for the Western world. Okay, now uh, let's, uh, let's talk a, a little about the, the uh, renaissance that Israel is enjoying in recent months with the signing of three agreements of normalizing relations with the Arab uh, or Muslim Sunni, Sunni states. And I think you as the Minister of Strategic and now also Tourism, I believe you experienced this, uh, this momentum in the topics that you deal with, like uh, the fight for Israeli legitimacy throughout the Middle East, a fight against the BDS and the boycott and other strategic issues. Did, did you experience this renaissance and this momentum as well? You are totally right about the relevancy of uh, the normalization agreements with regards to issues related with the delegitimization of the State of Israel. We have witnessed in the Ministry of Strategic Affairs a very interesting phenomenon in the social media area. We saw a very uh, organized and financed uh, digital campaign in the digital network on social media targeting the Emirates and the Bahrain and all the countries that have decided to take upon the route of normalization with the State of Israel and they were exposed to an organized campaign calling them traitors and trying to create and mispresent an atmosphere of delegitimization of the normalization agreements in the Arabic social media network, in the Arabic language. And what we have done in the ministry is we exposed this campaign to be what it is, an organized uh, campaign financed by the Hezbollah and, uh, and by other, uh, other organizations and Iran, which have the incentive to try and delegitimize, delegitimize a, a moderate countries, countries who are uh, pushing forward normalization and are uh, uh, confronting and uh, don't support boycott, but rather uh, support dialogue with Israel. So this is one thing we have done by exposing that campaign 
and uh, showing uh, that the atmosphere that this uh, campaign tried to uh, manipulate the social media uh, atmosphere, we wanted to uh, uh, tear the mask out of this uh, idea. Secondly, uh, what we have done is created this strategic project within the state of Israel, harnessing uh, the Druze community and Arabic speaking Israelis in order to be the eyes and the ears of uh, Israel in the Arabic language uh, social media network. We think that uh, Israel should focus on what's happening in the social media, which has become a, a haven for fake news, for mis misinformation, and for also uh, uh, delegitimization. So what we tried is uh, uh, going into new areas and going into the world of the uh, Arabic speaking uh, social media worlds. So we opened a branch of our ministry in the, in the Julis village. It is, a, it is a Druze village where we started uh, uh, using girls that speak Arabic to do national service for a year, uh, looking and monitoring social media accounts in the language of Arabic in order to raise a flag if we see some, you know, unnatural manipulation of the network, if we see some fake news with regards to Israel and hatred that is unbased. And when, when, when we see something of that kind, so we will be able to confront it, uh, of course, with the truth and with a counter approach. This is fascinating. I didn't know. I was not I, 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 realizing that we have an, an embassy in Julis where young, <laughs> uh, young uh, Druze girls, uh, Arabic speaking, are uh, trying to protect uh, Israel from this uh, smear campaign. And now I want to ask you, Minister Farkash Cohen, uh, strategically speaking, about this momentum between Israel and Muslim states. Do you think it will continue after the changing of the guard in Washington? Or is the Middle East about to enter a period of uncertainty and waiting for a, until we, we realize where the Biden administration is heading to? I think it is, it is, uh, we should, uh, it is yet to be seen. However, I do think that what started uh, going up the surface uh, will not uh, be a one-phase thing. I think that the Middle East today is, uh, or let's put it, the area where we live in the world, starting to understand and realize that Iran is a pure hazard to the moderate countries, wherever they are, and not only, in, in, and of course, in, this is what we know, to the whole Western worlds and democracies. But what we see in the normalization is basically an alliance between moderate countries who do not like uh, uh, the monstrous uh, terror machine called Iran and what it's doing to its proxies, such as uh, Yemen, such as Syria, such as Lebanon, uh, basically eating them out economically and uh, and spreading hatred and uh, and you know and and disaster even in the economic side. And in that sense, I think, I think that it is an alliance based on many mutual things, and it is a deep, uh, 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 it is a deep, let's put it, value-based uh, on many levels. And it is very interesting to see 
how the Middle East is uh, reshaping uh, the distribution of power, uh, not by religions and the classic distribution, but also according to how we, uh, uh, we uh, let's say, uh, put ourselves or uh, uh, grade ourselves before a very a radical and extreme uh, terror a country and empire. It is true that uh, the new administration in the United States will have to go into a period of looking at it uh, uh, from the Palestinian side and from the Palestinian uh, arguments. Uh, we know, and it's not a secret, that the Palestinian Authority was very um, unsupportive of the normalization uh, agreements. But again, I think it's totally a misperception and a missed opportunities on their side, because I think that, you know, as much uh, as Israel will spread its allies and the countries which we, she's making business with and having dialogue with, then even the Palestinian issues will have uh, more and more, you know, uh, roots of communication and more opportunities to think of uh, creative uh, ideas and, uh, and networks to, uh, to uh, re-enlighten the, the, the dialogue. Okay, now I, I want to, to talk a little about the, the Biden's upcoming administration. Uh, Israel was addicted in the last four years to, to the very, very friendly President Trump in an unprecedented margin. And now we have to adapt to a new era without uh, the best ever friend in the, in the White House. After all, while his successor, uh, President Biden, President-elect Biden is a friend of Israel, the Democratic Party has a few parts of radical or maybe progressive or radical parts. And what, what do you plan in, in the government and specifically you in the Ministry of Strategic Affairs to do in order to uh, minimize the influence of these radical parts of the Democratic Party? Regarding this issue, uh, I know that everybody's saying that uh, the support for uh, America uh, of Israel is, you know, undeniable, bipartisan, and so on and so on. But the truth needs to be said, and the truth is that it is no secret that the current Israeli administration put all these balls on the Republican administration. And in my personal view, uh, in a way, didn't put enough effort uh, and attention to the democratic side of the political American system. Uh, on the personal note, being a parliament member uh, previously and being a minister, I put some personal effort connecting with Democratic Congress people and Senate members in the United States because I saw it something as something uh, that we as Israeli or me and Israeli has an obligation to do because just like the Israeli society is not made of one color, but of people who are more conservative, who are more restrained, and on the other side, and as people who are more liberal and more progressive, uh, the same thing is uh, true about the American society. And in that sense, we should connect to all the colors of the political range in the United States. So first of all, on the personal level, I don't wanna mention names, but I did like a series of, of uh, 
of introduction and uh, uh, conversation and uh, Zoom initiatives with uh, several uh, a democratic uh, people in the United States. And I must tell you that they were very happy about this in initiative and they thought, you know, that it indeed uh, is something that I felt that they felt was missing. And secondly, with regards to the ministry, it's the same thing. You know, I think that as a, a, a minister, a, a, you know, that is being, that is responsible for enhancing the uh, legitimization of the state of Israel, it is not only about convincing the convinced, and it is not about, uh, about talking again and again to the same, uh, to the same public. So in that sense, we're also initiating uh, all kind of, uh, uh, of ways to connect with new publics, with new organization, even more liberals, and not only the pro-Israeli organizations, as yeah. we call them, uh, in the ministry. And this is one of the things we just issued a, 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 you know, like a paper by the ministry calling out for different organization to come and get some assistance with regards of uh, all kinds of projects that they want to do. And that paper says that uh, according to my policy, the budgeted will, uh, given, will be given uh, with a priority to organization that represent new publics uh, that we didn't work with before. And secondly, to public uh, that work with the social media or have tools uh, or uh, have tools that can uh, be effective on monitoring, uh, you know, misuse of the uh, digital uh, platforms. Because again, that is another second thing that I think that is a challenge uh, with, uh, especially with the COVID-19 and uh, with a highly dependent of the public opinion on what we see on social media. It's interesting. I, I, I have a follow-up question. If you're talking about you know, thinking or acting outside of the box, will you as a Minister of Tourism uh, uh, consider maybe uh, inviting uh, Congresswomen, radical and, uh, and, and progressive Congresswomen like Ilhan Omar or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to, to see Israel in their own eyes before they... they uh, they decide if you are, belong to the good or the bad side? It is funny that you're asking that because uh, I didn't really think about it with regards to uh, being the tourism minister. As you know, we are just uh, coming out of the second lockdown in Israel. So I'm really, what I'm doing is I'm- uh, I'm preparing uh, you to do this job now. <laughs> Exactly. So my work in the tourism ministries in the first month of my term has been concentrated really in giving some oxygen to this wonderful industry in Israel, making sure that hotels in Israel will get back to operation. But it's interesting issue that you raised because I uh, did address this in the ministry. Uh, one of the first thing that I have uh, a, a done uh, when entering the Ministry of Strategic Affairs was I assigned my, uh, the general director of the ministry, Ronen uh, Manelis, who's done an amazing work in the ministry. And I have given him a mission to uh, look retrospectively and to see uh, if we should adapt Israel's policy 
with regard uh, uh, not allowing uh, people who support B BDS, who are active in BDS organization to do this kind of, uh, you know, uh, a retro inspection of uh, what is the best policy uh, for Israel uh, to take place? Was there, for example, the uh, banning and not allowing some American politician to go into uh, the state of Israel due to there being a BDS activist? Was it effective? Was it not effective? Do we have something to learn after uh, two years of uh, implementing a mechanism that was put in place before my term and to see uh, what's the balance between the damage and the, and the, and the you know, and, the, and the, what's the pros and cons for that? And uh, this work uh, was actually done and was presented to me. And what it says that uh, we need to, to be very careful when it comes to uh, politicians or people who are holding, you know, public positions uh, a, or academic positions. And a, if you're talking about my personal view, my personal view should be that uh, the refuse to give people entrance to the state of Israel should be a last resort because I think it is not, you know, uh, it is not the uh, something that should you be used uh, lightly, but only yeah. in extreme uh, cases. And I think that uh, I don't remember the name at the moment, but I think that the only time I had to address a, a one of the cases during my term, I actually reversed a decision uh, taken by uh, the previous minister, uh, Ardan, and decided to uh, approve an entrance of a previously uh, refused uh, woman. Uh, she said she's not active anymore. She's, she still criticizes Israel and still has very uh, hard criticism. But in my view, uh, a criticism alone, and even if it's a hard one, you know, yeah. uh, uh, within the realms of freedom of speech is not an excuse to ban a person from uh, going into the country. If it will happen and you will personally host uh, uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I, I want to be the fly in the, in the, in the room and <laughs> listen to this interesting conversation between two very uh, impressive women. Now let's, let's dive into uh, Israeli politics. Did uh, Benjamin Netanyahu cheated Benny Gantz, because you know we are heading maybe fourth uh, election in a row. Uh, there will be no rotation between the, the PMs uh, in November. And do you think uh, you made a strategic mistake with blue and white uh, coming and giving Netanyahu the keys to another government without getting uh, the goods? So for the benefit of your uh, listeners, I don't know if they are all uh, uh, acquainted with the mechanism or the political mechanism in Israel. Uh, according to the law in Israel, once uh, you do not uh, uh, conclude uh, the state budget in a timely manner, a, a time that is set by law, then the uh, parliament is being dispersed. This is the legal sanction that was put in place in order for uh, the leaders of the country to understand that a budget is a very fundamental and important tool for a state to be managed uh, correctly. So what we are now, we are now in a junction 
where the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is trying to use this uh, unfortunate uh, technique uh, because they, and he refuses to pass the budget for uh, nearly a year uh, uh, with the intention that when there will once there isn't a budget, the parliament will disperse and he will be able to drag the Israeli people to a fourth election in a row in two years, just so that he will be able to uh, conduct and assemble his, uh, his you know, his, his uh, let's put it, his dream uh, government or cabinet that will give him the legislation to create a personal immunity from his three pending indictments. Now for your first question, and no, I'm totally not regretting the fact that uh, I uh, joined the Blue and White Party uh, fighting uh, the current leadership and preaching for integrity and leadership. The Blue and White Party came um, and was established because of uh, what we see in Israel. We see a leader that has been in power too many years uh, in Israel, unfortunately, we do not have a limitation on the term of prime minister. And uh, in my personal view, you know, this is like a Kennedy school test case to be studied. What happens when a prime minister doesn't have a term limitation and unfortunately doesn't wanna, doesn't wanna leave the chair. We came in order to fight this. And unfortunately, after three elections in a row, uh, we didn't get the decisive result that uh, made it possible for us uh, to assemble a, a government without the Likud party and without uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So in these uh, complicated circumstances, followed by the international crisis and unprecedented crisis of the COVID-19, we decided to be responsible, to do what you know every normal person would have done and to go into a unity government. And on our side, the big compromise was that we would do a unity, uh, we would do like a shuffle and a, an agreement that part of the time Netanyahu would be a prime minister, but after second, uh, the second part of the government, he would go off and take care of his criminal uh, files. And that would be, you know, a compromise uh, that we could live along with our values. But like you said, unfortunately, Netanyahu found a, a, a loophole in the agreement and now he's abusing it. And all I can say is that, no, I do not regret joining the blue and white party. I will never regret uh, being a person just like Benny Gantz who thinks people uh, should respect uh, agreements, who believe that people uh, respect agreements and educating my kids uh, for the same values. And I think it is, uh, you know, sorrow and the shame is on our prime minister that instead of putting, uh, you know, national interest first. He doesn't care about dragging Israel to yet another uh, elections, spending all that money on, you know, really uh, election that has no purpose and serve no purpose rather than himself and trying to uh, get, you know, another and trying to, to, to create yet another government that maybe will give him the immunity he's seeking. Do you, do you think there is still a chance for a compromise or a, maybe I'll ask it in a different way. If, a, if a Benny Gantz will consult you and ask you, should I give Netanyahu another two or three or one month 
after the ultimatum, the deadline in, uh, on December 23rd, will you advise him, let's give it another chance? Or do you think that uh, Blue and White uh, have to stand beside its terms if the budget is not over, is not uh, accepted in the Knesset, I'm talking about 2021 budget, until at the end of December, let's go to the voter. I want to be uh, straightforward. On the economic le level, being uh, somebody with an economic background, I think it is totally a disgrace. The fact that the state of Israel doesn't have a budget is an unprecedented situation in all the world with the COVID-19. It says we do not have a solid economic program. So it is a total disgrace. On the political level, I'm uh, among the very militant voices with regard with regards to that. To tell you the truth, if the Likud will come with uh, what such a, 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 you know, a suggestion saying we need one more month, we need one more month in a, in, a, in a week, I would like to see guarantees. I don't care anymore about talking about making the budget or saying about presenting it to the cabinet. When we're talking about budget, it needs to be approved in the parliament. Anything else is, sorry about my language, but it's a BS. So that would be my approach. Okay, let's say we're almost out of time, but I still have another two issues to talk to you about. First, just you mentioned before the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus that hit Israel very hard. And right now we are trying to get out from the second lockdown and already are talking about the third one maybe in upcoming uh, Hanukkah holiday. Do you think that the, the, the government is, a, is failing to deal with the, with the COVID-19 crisis? I'm talking about the health uh, issue and the, and the uh, economic issue as well. I think it's a complicated uh, question and I will divide it to the health side and to the economic side. With regards to the economic side, uh, yes, I have a lot of criticism. I think that the Israeli health administration is very uh, narrow-minded. And uh, if I would ask them, I think, they would rather have uh, all of Israel sitting at home until a vaccine is uh, operational. They see themselves as committed to saving lives and that's it. Uh, when, I'm, when I uh, joined the Corona Cabinet, which is a specific COVID-19 cabinet that the State of Israel um, assembled uh, according to the Blue and White Party, and I came there as a tourism uh, ministry fighting the fight of the, of the uh, village hotels, the village tourism, the rural tourism. And there I put an argument and I said, how come you do not measure the health damage or uh, the mental damage? Health is not only about how many COVID-19 people are admitted in hospital, not only how many people were found positive, it is also about how many people experience a, a stress and suicidal attempts because of their a, a economic disaster. And we know from the data that I uh, uh, collected 
that there is a double amount of people uh, calling stress uh, centers, the telephone centers that are aiding people. There is a, a 30% increase in taking uh, stress uh, medical medicines. 10% of the people will be have will be getting a aid, mental aid after the COVID-19. And this is an a, 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 a was even estimated in several billions of dollars at the moment, uh, shekels, sorry. So, you know, I come from an economic world, from the energy world, and I remember the, 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 all the examination. We were, when we were pricing, for example, the price of the damage of, uh, of using electricity from coal, you can't take into consideration the direct price of coal, right? Because coal is very cheap. You have to put inside the externalities, the diseases, diseases that are the result of the pollution of the coal and so on and so on, and the amount of money you will take out of the sick people and so on. And I said in the Corona cabinet the same, I think that the way that the medical side in Israel, the medical, the medical administration should assess uh, the damages of, 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 of the medical uh, disease are very, very flat. And it should be much more complicated and they should bring, you know, health, mental health people to the staff of the corona stuff. It's nobody's there. So this is one thing. Secondly, as a person on the economical uh, level, I think that we must learn to live with COVID-19. You know, I can't stand it to see uh, articles about people who commit suicide because of their businesses. And I am pushing, and actually all of the Blue and White Party is pushing more and more for uh, a differentiating attitude, meaning looking at the country, not as a whole, but differentiating the green cities, which means the, the disease-free cities uh, uh, from the, blue, the red areas, the more infected areas, and to work with, uh, uh, with put with a head, uh, with discipline. And uh, in that sense, I think that we're starting to go on the right direction. You know, on the Ministry of Tourism, we did this uh, experience of opening 50% of the internal tourism uh, in the tourism islands, both in the uh, uh, south of the country, in Eilat, and both in uh, the Dead Sea. We created these islands where people come only with uh, negative results of the COVID-19. Yeah. And I think this is the way to work, to find creative ways to monitor the disease and to open uh, and to open more and more uh, and businesses. Uh, businesses. Yeah. This is Minister uh, Farkash Cohen. Also my last question, and I really need now a very brief answer because we are long uh, past our, our limit of time, but it's so interesting. So we go on about tourism. Uh, Israel has a, a very, very famous sites to all the old three religions, uh, the big uh, three religions, and still we are not close to, to a, you know, to, a, to fulfill our potential in tourism. How can Israel be more competitive and be uh, and, and bring many more tourists uh, here after, of course, the COVID-19 crisis? Do you have any, any new ideas in this issue? Uh, actually, I do. Uh, when I come to a minister after uh, the previous uh, previous uh, minister, Yariv Lebin, who was a great uh, minister, who thought that uh, uh, marketing 
is the answer for the Israeli tourism. I come from the infrastructure world and I was amazed to see that uh, the Ministry of uh, Tourism, uh, which has resources, direct and indirect, uh, billions of shekels, uh, doesn't have a strategic plan of developing of tourism of, of the tourism of Israel, doesn't have a strategic uh, plan uh, with regards to areas of Israel, uh, developing the Kinere, developing the product of the Galilee, creating a tourism product of the desert and so on and so on. The way it works is that it's it is a mechanism that is reactive. Each head of a municipality comes to you and asks for some of some of money for a lo local project. And uh, I passed a cabinet resolution uh, saying that I need now to prepare a strategic plan. And I think that once the infrastructure uh, and the, the thinking of the tourism a product will be more organized in a strategic way, we can work more uh, efficient, eff effectively and uh, then market you know, uh, specific products. We have deserts, we have snow, we have uh, uh, the most amazing religious uh, 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 places in the world. We are full of history and modern uh, places at the same time. Uh, that's what amazing about the state of Israel. And also the, the normalization agreements with the opening of uh, new tours, tourists from the Emirates and from other countries, I think that we will be open to many, many opportunities after the COVID-19. Minister Rorit Fakashikoyen, I could uh, go and talk uh, to you um, long, uh, maybe two hours, two more hours, but we are out of time. It, it was fascinating. I thank you very much for joining us here on, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. We will now take the last uh, short break and come back with some uh, final thoughts. And again, to Daraba, Shalom, Minister Rorit Fakashikoyen. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. The point that was most intriguing and interesting for me in this uh, fascinating conversation with Minister Orit Farkashakoyen was when we, we were talking about uh, the Israeli ongoing uh, battle against the BDS movement, uh, the Israeli international legitimacy around the world, etc. And the minister uh, who is dealing exactly with these issues said, it's about time that Israel will, not, Israel will not try to convince the convinced 
but try to get out of the paradigm or, or think outside of the box, etc. And then I asked her about uh, maybe considering inviting a, a Congresswoman Ilhan Omar or a Congresswoman AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, to Israel, to see Israel with their own eyes. And the minister did not rule it out. She said that we, Israel, have to, to check the benefits of such a move and to be very careful with politicians because there is a lot of benefits, but also a price to pay. But banning leaders or politicians from entering into Israel should be the last resort, and it's very interesting. Orit uh, Farkash hopes that a miracle can still happen, and a compromise, a political compromise, will be found to avoid fourth election in Israel. She is criticizing uh, PM Prime Minister Netanyahu that, uh, in her words, is trying to use the budget in order to drag the nation to the, these fourth election in the midst of the health. And, and economic uh, crisis. She's not sorry for joining uh, Blue and White or politics, and also not sorry for the, her party joining the unity government. She's saying there is still hope yet to come. And we will, of course, follow it very closely. And I hope you enjoyed it today. We will see you here next Monday in On Israel. And I'll monitor. I'm Ben Kaspi from Tel Aviv. Take care.